This is the Mobile Home Park Lawyer Podcast with Fur Neiman. If you're looking to generate wealth and passive income in the lucrative world of mobile home parks, you're in the right place. You'll discover solutions to the common legal and operational pitfalls and how to optimize parks to maximize income. Your host is in the trenches. He's a real estate attorney, financial analyst, and mobile home park investor and operator. Now, let's turn it over to Ferd Neiman. Welcome back, Mobile Home Park Nation. Ferd Neiman here again today with another episode of the Mobile Home Park Lawyer Podcast. Today, I've been thinking about all the election stuff and all the drama going on in our country, and I thought, man... Wouldn't I love to talk about the government today? So today we're going to talk about the government in the form of uh, the Securities and Exchange Commission, the SEC. And specifically, it's going to be as it pertains to syndication. Because uh, there's a lot of things you can do to break the law, like jaywalking, maybe speeding by one mile an hour. And nobody really cares that much. There are other things you can do to break the law, and the government cares. And rightfully so. And obviously criminal matters are some of those. But today we're talking about SEC. I see a decent amount of uh, offering memorandums and private placement memoranda and have been involved in those from a legal standpoint and as a promoter standpoint. And I've seen a lot of them that are pretty wonky, pretty aggressive, if you will. I'm not going to call out certain guys who are illegal um, in these processes, but they're definitely out there. So if you're investing as a limited partner, you want to know who your GP is and want to make sure they're compliant. If you are the GP, general partner, slash promoter, slash sponsor, slash syndicator, those are all the same thing. You need to make sure you know what you're doing, at least from a legal standpoint. If you don't, you need to hire legal counsel. Okay, I'm obviously biased. I'm a lawyer here. But this stuff is, is super complex. I've done some complicated tax increment financing deals, real estate contracts, leases, uh, but some of the more complicated legal documents I've, I've ever worked on are these private placement memorandum. And they're pretty verbose, you know, easily over 100 pages by the time you add in. Uh, I think my last one was like 200 pages by the time you add in the operating agreement. You've got your business plan in there as an exhibit, your financials. You know, sometimes you'll include like a zoning appraisal or phase one report, a property management agreement. You're going to have things like your investor questionnaire to certify that your investors are sophisticated or accredited. And then you've got your subscription agreement where they commit to pay. You've got your signature pages for the operating agreement and PPM. So pretty verbose documents. But today I'm just going to hit high level. What are the regulations concerning raising capital for syndications? And I think by now you know what syndications are. Uh, and the SEC is the regulatory agency that essentially that promulgates guidelines and regulations. Uh, specifically pertinent to raising money for real estate. Uh, this was this came in about 1933, uh, Securities Act, and basically it requires promoters to register with the SEC, unless there's a valid exception, and that's where the private placement memorandums typically come in. Is there an exception? And in, the two types of investors that are really allowed to invest in these are either sophisticated investors or accredited investors. Sophisticated is a little more aggressive. It's got to be somebody who has enough financial and business knowledge that he or she can evaluate the risks and rewards of the prospective investment. You're not, you, have, you can have no more than 35 sophisticated investors in a given investment. So this may be, you know, like... You know, I'm I'm both. I guess I'm an accredited investor. Look into a minute, but I'm also I'm a I could I would argue I'm a sophisticated investor because I have enough financial and business and legal acumen that I could invest as a limited partner. But somebody who has the same, you know, uh, education and intellect, but is a surgeon, 
may not qualify as a sophisticated investor as it pertains to a real estate investor. Now, they, those people may, the surgeon example, may very well qualify as, as an accredited investor, which is someone who has a net worth of at least a million dollars, not including their primary residence, or has a, a net income of 200000 300,000 have married, and typically they measure that based on the last two years and an expectation in the subsequent year. There are some other ancillary definitions for if you're an IRA or a financial institution or, or some sort of corporation, but for most of the individuals I hear, you're, you're, if you're an accredited investor, you can invest in these deals. If you're sophisticated, it's, it's a little grayer. And as a promoter, it's the safer best practice to just go with accredited only. And if, if you mess this up and you have even one person in there, Who's not? You can you can screw up the whole exemption for your for your offering, so you don't want to mess it up. And the, the key exemptions, really, there's three. There's 506B private placements. There's 506C general solicitation, and there's there's crowdfunding. And I'll just hit crowdfunding first because it's it's the simplest. And I've never done a crowdfunding. Um, it's a smaller limit. Like you can only you can only raise up to a million seventy thousand in a, in a year. And basically, this happens through, through typically through online portals. With the SEC is kind of involved; it regulates this kind of intermediary. Um, you know, I don't see a lot of those, frankly. I'm sure they're out there, but most of what we see are 506B private placements or 506C general solicitation. So let's go with 506B. And this one, the key the key thing here is you're not allowed to openly advertise the investment. Uh, basically, you have to have a pre-existing relationship with prospective investors. Uh, Typically, you know, 90 days would be recommended, at least 30 days of a pre-existing relationship. The more material and sub- substantial that is, the better for you as the promoter. And the whole the whole purpose of these private placements, by the way, so you don't have to register with the SEC and you can be valid um, and not get in trouble for raising capital. Uh, and with with the with the 506B private placement, you can raise an unlimited amount of money and you can sell securities to an unlimited number of accredited investors. Again, sophisticated, you're maxed out at 35. If you have sophisticated you have to make sure they get the documents that contain the information. I mentioned some of that kind of in the prologue here, business plan, financial statements. Basically, the PPM is also it's a disclosure document. It's it's kind of like a prospectus, you know, and then you have to give them the, these investors the same sort of information that would be in a regulated uh, SEC, you know, prospectus, like if you buy Coca-Cola stock, there's a prospectus. And it, it says, and these, this PPM says all the bad, scary stuff that can go wrong. Things like the market may change. Our financials are not audited. We have not... I had these assumptions uh, vetted by anybody else. We may be overpaying. We, you know, we may lose our, f- our financing or not be able to raise enough capital or management may die. You know, and, you know all these other things. Or your tax situation will be different than mine. So on, so on. It's a big scare. It's a big scare you away document. But it's kind of a safe harbor for the promoter. Like if you do this this process, you're 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 safe in that if the deal goes south and you didn't do anything fraudulent or misrepresentation or of that sort, you know, you're, you're more immune from liability. You know, we all know what a limited liability company is and it's supposed to have limited liability. Well, in a PPM, it's supposed to make the promoter have limited liability. Um, there's some exceptions for crime and stuff like that. But for the most part, it's, it gets the job done. So again, the key is no general solicitation or advertisements under the 506B. Under 506C, general solicitation, I think you've you probably figured it out by now, but the difference is you, you can publicly advertise. But again, that's if all the purchasers are accredited and you take steps to verify the purchaser's investor status. So you cannot have sophisticated uh, people who are only sophisticated but not accredited in the 506C. And if you do a 506C, you're required to file a, a Form D with the SEC within 15 days after the first sale of securities. Basically, this just 
lets the SEC know who's out there doing this, who's out there claiming to be exempt, and they can regulate it. And by doing this, you're exempt from state registration, but however, some states still have the ability to require you to give them notice, the courtesy filings, and, and, and frankly, to collect collect fees. Um, so 506B, 506C, they're, they're fairly complicated, but it's kind of the name of the game if you want to be a syndicator promoter. If you're doing stuff like you're trying to do it in just a plain old LLC, like, oh, it's, you know, for the promoter, and I'm going to bring on a million dollars of private equity. I can't just do that in LLC. If it's like me and my dad, and we're just sitting around, and we're partners, and we're like, hey, let's do this deal together, I can get away with just an LLC, just me and dad. But basically, once one party starts to get paid or starts to have a, a disproportionate share, as syndicators typically want, you know, some asset management fee, some property management fee, an acquisition fee, uh, the promote I talked about in a prior episode. You know, you get typically a limited partner gets a preferred return, and then there's a, a hurdle. Once that preferred return, say eight percent, is met, the promoter gets thirty percent. The limited partner gets seventy percent, and you can change those ratios. It's negotiable. You can have different ratios for, you know, for things from cash flow, from operations, from uh, dissolution, from liquidation, from uh, refinance, from disposition or sale. Um, all of those things. And then also you can even, you want to talk to your CPA on the cost segregation tax benefits, but you can even uh, have some ability to monitor, uh, modify the tax benefits. Uh, that, that gets more complicated with qualified non-recourse debt. And I'm not going to get into that today, today. And I can hear my CPA look over my shoulder saying, don't get into this stuff. You're not the CPA I am. But I've paid enough CPA fees over the years that I feel like I'm almost there. But I'm not, so don't let this is no no accounting advice, uh, frankly, no legal advice. I think I have to say that too has been offered in this podcast. But ultimately, that's the high level regulation on these three categories. In general, another question that I'll cover in a subsequent podcast here in a minute is: What if I have someone else raise money for me? Can I? How can I pay them? The the, the short answer is: You cannot pay someone to raise money for you unless you are a licensed broker dealer. This happens all the time. I've been offered this on, I don't know, three or four occasions. Hey, you want to raise money for my deal? We'll pay you 20%. It's like, uh, no, that would be a felony for both of us. So don't do that. I'll get into that more in the next podcast. Until next time, have fun, be smart, God bless. You've been listening to the Mobile Home Park Lawyer Podcast with Ferd Neiman. Ready to learn more? Go to www.themobilehomelawyer.com for free resources and materials to help you succeed. If you love the podcast, go to Apple Podcasts, give us your review, and subscribe today. Thank you for listening. Neither the Supreme Court of Missouri nor the Missouri Bar reviews nor approves certifying organizations or specialist designations. The choice of a lawyer is an important decision and should not be based solely upon advertisements.